Well, hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Faculty Factory Podcast. I'm Kim Skorupski here at Hopkins, and I'm looking at Dr. Maria Oliva Hemker. Hi, Maria. Hi, Kim. Well, everybody, this is a very important guest because without Dr. Maria Oliva Hemker, the Faculty Factory Podcast would be non-existent. She's my boss. She is the Vice Dean for Faculty here at Hopkins. She's fabulous. We love her. Let me tell you all about her. She's a professor of pediatrics and the Sturmer Family Professor of Pediatric Inflammatory Bowel Disease here at Hopkins. And Dr. Maria Oliva is also an expert in pediatric gastroenterology, hepatology, and nutrition, world-renowned with her expertise. And we're so excited that she, in August 2021, became our vice dean for faculty after serving as vice chair for faculty in the division, in her department, and the division director. So she's had various leadership roles. And she wants to today share some things to think about when we transition into a new leadership position. So, Maria, thanks again for being on the podcast. Thank you so much for supporting the Faculty Factory podcast and allowing this community to share best practices, encourage and inspire each other around the world. So thank you so much. And please tell us about your journey and the things that you have thought about over your career. Well, thank you so much, Kim, for having me here. And listen, I'm going to start with an unsolicited commercial for the Faculty Factory, because I know you've been doing this now since like 2019, and you have more than 200 episodes, and it is just uh, amazing what you've done. And uh, we are so supportive of everything here at Hopkins when it comes to you and your work in the Faculty Factory. So thank you. This would be very appropriate for me to thank you as well. Uh, So uh, listen, I I really appreciate uh, talking to you and to your audience. I thought one of the aspects that I could bring to the table is to talk about uh, transitions in in your life and transitioning into a leadership position, because this is a time when things can be very kind of scary for somebody and, and challenging. And over my career, I've had some transitions into leadership positions at different points in time. And you always learn a little bit as you go along. You know, I think of myself first as uh, a faculty member. Uh, I'm an academic clinician, and I've been here at Hopkins actually my entire career. I also trained at Hopkins as a pediatric gastroenterologist. So throughout that time, and still to this day, I'm involved in patient care, doing inpatient rounds, having ambulatory clinics, doing endoscopies, and you know, teaching our, our students, our residents, and our fellows. And uh, as all of our colleagues, we we multitask. I'm also a clinical researcher, and I've been focusing on inflammatory bowel diseases. Since I've transitioned into a variety of leadership roles throughout my career, I thought I would have the opportunity to give your audience maybe some, some tips about what to think about. The first thing is starting with the fact that a leadership role doesn't necessarily mean that you are now being named to mm. a new particular role, like a division director, department director, or another uh, role in your institution. Taking on a leadership role can also mean that you are now becoming, for example, the chair of a task force or the chair of a committee in your professional Mm -hmm. society. So some of these leadership positions might be for a year in length and others might be, you hope, uh, will last uh, a bit longer, three years, five years, or even longer. But the same type of um, 
thought processes uh, can an, an approach can uh, be used for different types of leadership positions. Right. Yeah, I, I think that's so important to when I first uh, approached you and asked you if you'd share you know, you're incited to be the first year of being a vice dean. Um, and then we're talking about how to go about this. You know, you made such an important point that I guess I was probably selfishly thinking of, you know, the next step in my level of career. But you're right. Throughout all of our careers, when we're early career, just leaving medical school, graduate school, postdoctoral fellowship, all those positions, every Every change and movement requires a certain level of recalibrating and um, lessons learned and, and thinking and putting in, in reframing things. So, and, and you're definitely appealing to a broader audience because every one of us now has gone through these different stages. So I think it's really nice to, to like spread this, this wealth of this wisdom kind of across the spectrum. So thank you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so transitioning, you know, into a role as a leader in, at any stage and in any capacity can be challenging and exciting. And it's a bit of a yin and a yang because as a new leader, you need a vision and a plan, but you want to hit the ground running. But then at the same time, you also need to listen and develop new collaborations and relationships. So regardless of where, what group of people you will be leading or what your new role is going to be. Again, th there are certain tips that would be good to have, uh, regardless of, of what type of role you're you're going to be assuming. Yeah, I've learned so many lessons and I keep having to relearn them. So that's what frustrates me is I, I always feel like I get frustrated, like, Kimberly, haven't you learned this lesson already? And I say, yes, you have. In fact, many times, when are you finally going <laughs> to learn? Because there's a certain level of um, frustration, I think, because we all want to do a great job. And, you know, as you, you said, we want to, want to make an impact and make a difference and we want to do good things. And yet that, that urge to rush out of the starting gate is the good discernment tempers us to say, slow down a minute. Who else is at the table or in the room? Yeah. What are the competing priorities? And that's my, always my, um, one of my many bugaboos is failing or not seeing the whole picture. And I think with a lot of our leaders, we get frustrated thinking, how come they're not doing, isn't this so important? How come they're yeah. not doing that without recognizing there's so many other priorities that yeah. and ours isn't the most important? Well, but one of the things that you said, Kim, is that the first thing uh, I think a person should do as they're kind of coming into this role is they really have to take stock in terms of what's going on and learn. And uh, I always kind of view it as, again, being a clinician, it's kind of similarly when you meet a new patient for the first time, you have to take that patient's history and exam, and you'll probably need some help from others that'll do some labs or imaging studies, and then you're going to come up with this differential diagnosis, right, potential list of diagnoses, and that'll help you with the plan. Well, it's kind of the same thing that you want to kind of take stock in the situation. You want to learn the culture and the people of your new environment. And this is where I think it's just so important to listen to others because you need to understand whether it's your new team, your the new committee, the people that are reporting to you, you know, your new boss. You need to know who the influencers are and who are the stakeholders. And so I, I found that 
you just need to talk to people. Or rather, I probably shouldn't say talk, I should say listen to people. I know that when I became vice dean, we were still in a heavier pandemic mode back then than we are now. But I made it a priority to try to meet people in person, uh, especially all the department directors who were now going to be kind of a new group of colleagues that I didn't have previously. And so I wanted to meet them where they lived at work, so to speak, because it's it's important to go into somebody else's work home, see how they are and just uh, and chat with them. And, and I thought that was important for them to obviously get to know me, but also for me to hear what uh, concerns they had or, or what they, they hoped our office of faculty, you know, would, would bring to them. So mm-hmm. I thought that was, you know, really important, just as important as it was uh, clearly to meet with all of our team, uh, everybody in the office of faculty, find out what folks are doing. Um, what their anticipated goals were, because certainly when there's a leadership change, it can be a scary time for people, the people that now are seeing a new leader in terms of, so what's this person all about? What what changes are they going to make? You know, we as humans don't necessarily love change all the time. And so I think it's uh, it's really in those first times after you step into a new role, it's so important to begin relationship building and developing collaborations with others. Can you tell us a little bit more about your approach to relationship building and how do you discern which people are like in your closest inner circle and going out and how do you make decisions about, you know, change management, for example, you said how things are going to change when you new leader coming in, because I'm always curious how I say, I watch big leaders and deans and professional study leaders come in and they Take like a right-hand person or a right-hand or or a small group of people. How do you know who should be in that circle to change things? Or is it is it not like, like I keep thinking of Abraham Lincoln and this uh-huh. the book, this great book, Team of Rivals, where Team he of Rivals, yeah. right? right? Where he brought in some, on purpose his opponents. And so I'm always curious how people gather their team to get the, you know, the champions and the supporters, but sometimes the naysayers, mm-hmm. sometimes who are the, the opposite kind of the, the fault finders, maybe purposely tasked to be that kind of avoiding group thing. But how do you as a leader, as you've gone through those stages, how have you, um, how have you learned that skill of being able to discern who's real and who, who mm-hmm. is maybe peripheral? Or how do you, mm-hmm. how do you do that? Or does that change? Yeah, I think that's changes. And that's a great question. And it also depends, Kim, obviously, if you're coming in to a situation in which uh, there is a need and you were brought in specifically to turn over a team or to create a team versus coming into a situation where there's a team that is running pretty smoothly and uh, you don't necessarily have to blow up everything. It's a matter of maybe inserting new ideas and uh, but keeping a well-oiled machine going. So what I would say are aspects of, of team building and team creating that, that I feel are important over time is, uh, I will say for, for me, uh, a, a key factor is a person's integrity, the honesty and the authenticity with which they are approaching a situation, right? Uh, you want 
people around you that have uh, a positive attitude, kind of a, a, a can-do attitude, and you have to bring people with different skill sets to the table to make kind of that unifying team. I mean, I I remember as a as a division director actually when I started uh, running the division, there were only four of us at that time in pediatric gastroenterology, and now the division has been built and it's more than almost fourfold as big. It's become very very large, and as that group was was in was uh, being built, you know, I could see that there were people that had. Um, certain um, skills in terms of just their their knowledge base was incredible or they were would be very skillful in procedures or they are very skillful in um, uh, the informatics and technology and so I could see that they would bring different skill sets to the table to make us whole you know to make our division whole I think this, the same thing happens at, at multiple levels. Ultimately, although people may think differently from you, and I'm a believer that you always want to have a lot of people that are way smarter than you around you because we're all, you know, in this win-win situation. Um, it does come down to who is authentic, who has integrity, who is um, an honest person, who is somebody that you can trust and it's it's that trust factor i think that allows you to to bring somebody in closer to you because you want to be able to say things in confidence to people and know that they're not going to necessarily be right distributed to to everyone um you want people that are thinkers and will give honest opinions in a respectful way which I think leads me to say that you don't necessarily want to surround yourself with people that all think the same and that have your same personality type. Right. That's that's uh, a no-no. Uh, right. And uh, um, learning about uh, personality uh, types and how people approach situations differently is something that I learned way back, actually, when I was a junior faculty member <laughs> taking leadership courses yeah. here at Hopkins. And I realized, oh, yes, that's right. And there's a name to give these people and these different personality types. And when, as I was learning that, I already could say, no wonder I'm having some difficulties with this particular person because we're right. coming to the table with you know from totally opposite ends of the of the spectrum yeah. and so certainly acquiring skills and being taught those types of you know uh, uh kind of leadership information i think was really important for me in my career it's certainly something that i would recommend to uh, anyone out there who is interested in any type of leadership positions that you really do want to acquire these skills and and be taught them they're not necessarily intuitive and right. it's really important which is why here certainly for our faculty as you know we we feel that it is so important here at Hopkins to be providing them with um uh you know leadership training well thank you for endorsing that's such a great message and i'll amplify that yes there's some leaders who are born leaders but it's a learnable skill that we it can is. we we teach people how to to lead and we teach people that the knowledge of all knowledge and wisdom begins with knowledge of self. So I love the way you gave us an example of how you've applied that knowing myself, where how do I like to take in information to make decisions? 
and then applying that to somebody else and then depersonalizing a relationship that it's not necessarily she doesn't particularly care for me or he's difficult to work with. It's an, it's a pivoting or reframing of, oh, it's not necessarily personal. It could be because he likes to get information this way. He likes to think versus feel. So that little bit of knowledge can really free up some headspace to then, as you said, leverage those differences and that heterogeneity and purposely bringing people together who have different opinions and backgrounds and, and ways of seeing things, which just makes things even richer. Yeah, no, absolutely. And at the end of the day, actually being in leadership positions means that you are really there managing people, bringing people Mm. together, even though you may have gotten into that position because of, you know, specialty expertise or a technical expertise that you had, you know, as, as they say, what, what uh, gotcha, what, Got, got you here, here. We'll get you there. We'll get you there, right? Then all of a sudden you really do have to start th- seeing things at a higher level and understand that you're not you're not there uh to keep doing those same skills. You're there now to really talk about strategy, to uh plan again to manage people to help them be their better selves. And so those are really different skill sets Mm. than what you may have been doing uh, in your previous job. And so shifting that perspective and and realizing that you're kind of need to step out of your comfort zone and not Mm. keep doing what you have been doing, but to really learn and, and look at the world with a little bit of a different viewpoint. I think that's, that's another skill that a person needs to have uh, as they're going into, you know, a a new position of leadership. Well, I I like that you kind of led us through this journey of doing an environmental scan, if you will, you know, getting a new position. I'm going to listen. I'm going to build relationships. I'm trying to try to discern where the needs are, where the gaps are. How can I serve? Who needs to be helping me and on the team to meet these needs? And So I like that approach of just kind of pausing for a moment Mm -hmm. instead of kind of rushing in and swooping all the spending off the table and upending things and burning a house down uh, versus, you know, this kind of a very strategic, thoughtful approach. And then I'm wondering, have you, can you, because I can see how that would be applicable at every stage if you shift institutions or now you, like you said, you're running a lab or you you got the first grant and now you're building your clinical practice. All those new committee members on the study section, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Each one of those opportunities gives us that um, practice to build relationships and scan the environment. Who do I need to know? Who's, you know, who's good at this? Who's good at that? And then how did you can you help us think of how you had got some insight into yourself of where, oh, I may need to bone up on this, or I like the way she does that, or I don't like the way he does that. So in every one of those levels, how did you uh, manage to grow yourself personally? So those are that's a, a great question. I don't know if I intentionally thought about your question, you know, in, in that way, but... Yeah. Um, I'll tell you some some tenants, I guess, that I've learned um, that have been helpful in in my own growth. And 
the the first one and the key one that I try to remember is is actually the golden rule, right? <laughs> that uh, if you, you treat others like you wish to be treated, and mm. you're respectful, and uh, you um, list, try to listen with intention. I have to keep working on that, but that's something that I that I'm you know been trying to do, uh, and that um, you. Do pause before doing. The pause might be literally a few seconds because that's what's needed, or it could be longer. But um, you know, at least uh, trying to think a bit before making um, a rush judgment, I think, is really important. Um, you know what you said about you, you don't want to go in there. The 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 bull in the china shop never seems to quite work. And uh, going into a situation as if you are the know-it-all, first of all, people typically aren't the know-it-all, but you don't want to go into a new situation like that as well. I felt that it was important for, like I said, me to learn from others, find out who the trusted sources were based on maybe some some history that I already had with individuals or how I saw they presented themselves. So in terms of providing, you know, information to others, I did take some time to relearn some of the uh, skills, maybe that uh, brush up on the skills that I had learned previously in terms of, you know, uh, leadership, uh, and uh, make sure that I just had a, a better sense of things as, as I went in, you know, to a new position. But uh, at the end of the day, I feel that if you treat people well, treat people with respect, uh, listen to what they say, give credit, you know, where credit is due, understand that you're going to make mistakes and just mm -hmm. own them and, 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 don't blame any anybody for for your mistakes, uh, and be yourself uh, trustworthy and show integrity. I think you will grow as a leader. There will be people around you that will see that and will help you continue in that journey as a leader. And that the team of people that you're working with will all want to come together and, you know, and move things forward. So I just think that certainly paying attention to oneself and ensuring that you're growing in the process is really so, so important. And the hope is that, you know, those that are around you will will see that you're putting the effort in and that they'll also help along the way, because at the end of the day, nothing gets done by one person. You need an entire group of people to move things forward. Yeah, you're so right. So much hinges on relationships and people. And I never knew that when I was younger, I always envision these, you know, these deans and these big roles with thousands of people that they're responsible for. I imagined this just kind of a scenario of just the person at the top of the hill and thou shalt and thou shalt and mm -hmm. and waving hands around and and banging fists and just shouting out orders. Maybe I was thinking maybe I watched too many military <laughs> movies or, I don't know, or war movies. I don't know what it was, but I thought I would never want that position. That's so much responsibility to be moving the chess pieces around around the board that seems so 
the strategy there is it's so complex and deep mm-hmm. that I, it made me nervous to think of that. And the way you've described your journey is is so it's it's very refreshing and almost um it just kind of makes me feel like an exhale. And I hope everyone else is hearing you and hearing the authenticity in your voice because you truly have you're an example of what trust to me, a trust is confidence in the honesty of another. Confidence in the honesty. And that is exactly what you've built here at the Office of Faculty. And, and I hope everyone else is hearing this, that when we get to these high leadership roles, I think it truly does come to this authentic, real leadership that I'm a person, mm-hmm. like you said, will make mistakes. But once I have once you trust me that I am honest in the pros and the cons, all sides, that um, we're going to fail together, but we're going to win together and we're going to yeah. keep moving and that and keep getting up every time. We're not going to quit. We're going to keep going, keep going. And that to me is refreshing because it makes me feel like, well, I don't necessarily need to get an MBA or another MS or another PhD. It's not necessarily jamming more knowledge and skills it's as you said you're bringing the people it's relationships people and it's not just up to maria oliva hemker to lead hopkins into the future she's we we will do this together it's just it's very it feels so much more comfortable to think of us as faculty members as leaders that you can do this everybody can do this absolutely absolutely kim and you know there there have been a number of times where people have asked do i need a certain degree do do i need to to acquire like you said you know an mba or or something in order to achieve the leadership position and that can help at times right i mean certainly um, acquiring more skills and, and more education can be very helpful but at the end of the day, for a leadership position, that is not the end all, be all. It really is how you interact with people, how you can get everybody to move in a certain direction, right? How you can help people be their best selves, right? If you if you are leading a group of people, uh, and I view that as it's what you really want to to go after is that that win win situation mm-hmm. where where you're floating all boats because um I view that as you know you'll have uh, a much happier group of people that are willing to kind of uh, stick with you or stick with the institution uh and and move things along uh I guess one thing I will say about people that I think is also important if 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 you are leading a group that you want everybody to have a, a to be a stakeholder, right? So you want to them to have the opportunity to have you know projects of their own, to have their ideas, some of their ideas come to fruition, to to give credit where credit is due when uh, that is happening. You really want people to have buy-in, right? And into whatever happens to be going on. And not everybody will necessarily agree with every project, right? That's that's not the point. But if you have you know groups of folks or individuals that are really going to champion something that's important, you you really need all all those folks you know, uh, pushing things along. Because as as you said, it's not a, a one person. It's never going to be one individual who's doing all of that. My gosh, you absolutely need a team. Yeah, yeah. And and I know I've, I've failed many times and over the years. 
And it's usually it comes when I fail, it's usually because of it's interestingly enough that you mentioned, uh, Maria, the the Myers-Briggs and per, and your personality <laughs> preferences. I'm an ENTJ, extroverted, intuitive, thinking, judging. So I'm very, I'm very um I'm my my siblings would tell you I'm the firstborn. So I'm a, I'm one of those natural born uh-huh. big mouth leaders. And when I fail, it's because I feel like it's all on me. Mm-hmm. It's Kim's responsibility. Kim has to take care of everything. Kim has to do it all because I'm the big sister. Uh-huh. And I've, you know, come from a broken household. And so I just naturally became this pseudo adult in childhood and all the kind of thing going back if you want to and the way we how we learn things yeah. as mm-hmm. young children. And that's whenever I'm in the grip or stressed out. I revert to that little child feeling. Well, I guess I got to do everything myself. <laughs> and so, and that's always where I find myself. And I go, isn't that funny that when I feel like I'm stressed out, when I'm not doing well, is when I've gone inward. Mm-hmm. And when I've a- adopted this persona of like, I guess it's all up to me to do everything by myself versus saying and having that honesty with my colleagues and say, you know what, I'm, I'm struggling here. Or I feel like I'm all alone out here. And so I know that, that I know that about me, that when I start getting kind of crunchy and, and getting, you know, stompy and toddlery, it's probably because I know that, all right, what are you doing? Reach out, ask your colleagues. This is not all on you. And so do you have a, when you have, you know, what are some lessons you've learned about how you can help us understand when we fail as leaders, where does it where does it originate or like where are some experiences you've seen of other leaders where a common mistake or is like, oh, I see that person, they're headed toward a cliff and oh boy, or I've been, I tend to do this or I, what, what are some things we should watch for as we move through the, our careers? Yeah, so uh, such such an interesting question, Kim. So one of the common mistakes I think that leaders have is not communicating directly and often enough Mm. to the folks, their constituents or the folks uh, that the people that they are leading. And Mm. why is that? You know, sometimes when, when you're in the room where things are happening, you know all of that. And somehow in your brain, you think, oh, everybody, everybody must knows know that, that right? Uh, and everybody doesn't know that. Um, now, uh, there are things that you may not want to tell everybody, but there are things that need to be told to individuals so that they can do the work that they need to do. And very importantly, I think so that often we don't communicate the why of why we need to do certain things. So I have seen some folks um, be great at just telling people what to do, but those of us in the audience might be thinking, but but why are we doing this? Because in our brains, it's it's not quite making sense. And so telling people why, I think is, is, is really helpful mm. in, in getting buy-in for, for you know, what, what's going on. And so that's one thing. I think the second thing is when, when things are not going well, it is good to share with people that mm. things may not be going well, because again, it may give the why as to why a change has to be made, right? Sometimes mm. there are leaders that, that feel that they should not be 
telling people what might be considered bad news because they think it may reflect negatively on themselves or on an institution. But again, just like you said, um, I really have to be able to reach out to you know my colleagues and say, hey, I need help here. A leader has should do the same thing. And if and if and it actually, I think, brings the trust of folks to you if mm. they feel that you're being honest and you're being authentic and you're like, well, things are not going as well as we thought it could, folks. But, you know, and so we do have to maybe change. And, and here's why. So communicating as honestly as possible or being authentic in, in, in your communications and doing it frequently, I, I think yeah. it's important. Um, I know you've seen how how oh. we all um, think communication is important in our group. Yeah. If you remember last year, we we all decided to, you know, we got together and we analyzed our office of faculty, right? We did a, a SWOT analysis, right? Strengths, weaknesses, right. opportunities, and threats. And, and, and one of the major kind of themes that came out of it is we needed to find better ways to communicate directly with our faculty, with each other. But, you know, that's something that we've been working on is trying to find ways to directly communicate with the faculty, do it frequently, do it often. I know your group and faculty development has been doing that for a while. We're trying to expand that because if the faculty don't know what what we're doing, how we're advocating on their behalf, then they may assume that you're not advocating for them at all, right? Or there's nothing going on. So um, I would say that... Um, Communication is just uh, such an important skill for a leader to to know, to understand, you know, that importance. <laughs> and uh, uh, throughout my entire career, I, I have seen the power of it. Uh, you know, yes. I've, I've, I've uh, as I've walked into now, by now, probably thousands and thousands of patients' rooms, and I've talked to families, parents, you know, and kids, I've just realized that uh, without communicating well to you know your patient to others, so much is lost. And mm. you know, in in the inpatient service, when things go awry. It's not necessarily because somebody made a medical error. The 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 medical practice could have been beautiful, but maybe it wasn't communicated mm -hmm. to the family. They didn't understand what was going on. And you can have a, a blow up on, on uh, you know, an inpatient ward. And it was because of poor communication. So there's just been, I think throughout my career, um, understanding the importance of communication and how that can help mm -hmm. us has been kind of a skill that I've tried to, you know, develop over time. You're, you're so good at that, and I'm so envious because I am so incredibly in, impatient. And so I, I love when I am around people who are just like you, who I always, first of all, I always tell people, you remind me of Hoda Kotb because I just, you just, <laughs> your, your face beams joy and friendliness and warmth. And, but you're always like butter. You're just smooth and, Maybe that's the clinician in you, and I'm not a clinician, but I'm always admiring of people who seem to be very relaxed. And to me, the when you say communicate often, frequently, regularly, persistently, and do the why, in my head, my I guess my Kim Skorupski toddler brain goes, but I already talked about that, but I already told them that. 
And the fact when I see you, people like you and people like our vice, our executive vice dean, Dr. Landon King, and even our colleagues, Nadir Faraday and Jenny Lee Summers, giving the same talk or the same over and oh, and they and you do it consistently, professionally. And I think I would be like, as you've already heard a thousand times by now, I don't know why I have to be here telling you this. You know this. <laughs> but Kim, remember that people, even when they walk out the door, only have remembered probably about 50% of what but you said. But that's what's maddening about it. <laughs> so you have to keep saying it again and again. But uh, but, but uh, thank you for those compliments. I will say that I have also learned a certain control at work because in my home environment, uh, uh, I may not be as controlled uh, as as times, but it's, it's, it's again, part of the lessons learned for me in particular that um, uh, to just uh, try to, to have more of an even keel. I swear, it's just so, you, you and you do it naturally, to me it's natural. And that's, again, another thing, when you see good leaders, you think, oh, I could never do that because she must have been born that way. And you, we talked to like our, our colleagues in the emergency department and you think, oh, they must have been born with this uber calm under fire. No, it's something that you just said. You learn it, you practice it. Um, yes. because as you just pointed out so beautifully, we go home and if you go into mom mode, how many times I have to tell you to pick up your dirty socks? Apparently a thousand times, mom, because, you know, I forget it. The minute you walk out of the room, you know, yeah. communication is often and persistent. And why do I have to pick up my socks? So we know that like, really, I have to tell you that every time. So that, that is, it's so, it's a beautiful way of reminding us that intentionality um, yes. Yes. will help us get to these levels. Absolutely. But it's, and, and what you just said, Kim, that uh, any, anyone can be a leader anyone can be a leader. And so um, this is, you know, a, a plea to certainly your listeners. I know the faculty, there's junior faculty where they think, oh, I could never do that. You know, you can. Um, I remember when I was thinking about being a division director, I was like, wait, I've never thought of that. I don't, why should, why should I do it? Oh my goodness. And then there came a point where I was like, wait, why not me? As as I was seeing kind of other people being brought in, right, to kind of look at the role. And and I had help people at the time going, no, wh why not you, Maria? Uh, and so everybody needs somebody to be telling them, yeah, why not you? You can do it. Um, go for it. So, and I think it's important because, because um, uh, all of us need to be encouraged sometimes or pushed uh, in certain directions. And uh, it's just, you know, again, you you, you jump in, uh, you learn along the way and you get better at it. You know, Kim. <laughs> oh, well, friends, you've heard it from the vice dean for faculty at Johns Hopkins, Dr. Maria Oliva Hemker. Did you hear what she just said? You can do it. Be it, do it believe it and you will be it. So Dr. Maria Oliva, you've been wonderful. Um, we've learned so much from you. Would you, I'll leave the parting parting thought to you for the faculty factory community. Oh, well, just uh, thank you, Kim, for having me. And again, kudos to you for leading us all through this journey with Faculty Factory. I'm sure so many people out there appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much. We'll see you next time on the Faculty Factory Podcast.
Thanks for tuning in to Faculty Factory Podcast. The mission of the Faculty Factory is to build and support a community of leaders in faculty development who share tools, resources, wisdom, and encouragement in service to our faculty members, schools, and institutions. We encourage you to go to facultyfactory.org to find out more, get in touch with me, ask me any questions. Maybe you want to be interviewed on the podcast. Thanks for tuning in to Faculty Factory Podcast. We'll see you next time. The Faculty Factory podcast and website is sponsored by the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine Office of Faculty. For more information, visit facultyfactory.org.